There's statistics out, and I, I won't remember them exactly correct, but that states that roughly half the pastors serving today in five years will have quit the ministry, that uh, 70% uh, say that they're in some form of depression. Uh, between 70 and 90% say they have no close friend. And when I read those things, I can remember back uh, over the span of three decades of ministry, but I think when I read it today, man, if everyone had an east side, they wouldn't have those problems. Really. Uh, with people like the Waters and the Williams and the Todds and the Baths, the Stricklands and the Kirklands and the Tuckers and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, and if I left you out, I didn't leave you out because you are as real in my heart. The deacons will testify I have sat there and pointed at every one of them and expressed my appreciation for something tangible they have done for my family and for myself. And, and I'm just, you know, I, I've gotten a little older and a little more understanding. If you love on my family, that's a good if not better than loving on me. And uh, I thank God for that. The concern that you have for my wife, for my children, and uh, I can't imagine uh, having any greater place to minister than at Eastside. And so thank you. Thank you, kids, for doing such a great job. I like the words. Uh, that was really cool. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Words matter, don't they? Uh, they? They personalize that song. And I don't know, you know, it's easy to hear Eastside and Claxton in it, but I heard the part that is our theme, the great commands. I heard the part that is on our screen every Sunday. It's on uh, every other piece of literature that we have to love God and to love others. I heard that in that song, Words Matter. Have you ever been told something that you took it to the bank only to find out that that check bounced? The words that you were told, a promise that you had been given, something that you thought was tangible turned out to be empty. I can remember someone I know that will remain nameless. They got hooked on filling out publisher house Things one time convinced if they filled out enough of them, they would win. And they show all the pictures of all these people. Do any of you know anyone who's ever won that? Exactly. Words are only as strong as the one who speaks them. And this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 4, at the blessed gospel of Mark, with the theme, the servant of God, I want you to notice throughout this chapter and throughout this book. And I pray that we internalize it, that it becomes part of our fabric when we understand and hear when the servant speaks. You know, I, I think of Esther when Mordecai charged her to go speak to the king. I think about Joseph when he spoke, and they, their words had to be true, and the power of the God who was telling them to speak had to be standing alongside them because you remember what they, they stood uh, accountable to the king that at his very thought, if he felt like they were disrespecting him by coming in without him calling them, he could have had their life snuffed out. And yet they believed in the God of the words they were about to speak as much as they believed in the words. When the servant speaks, even greater than an old commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks, when God speaks, when the Son of God, the servant of God speaks, we need to have ears to hear and be attentive to 
his words. Notice with me in chapter uh, 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. He said this, listen. In the King James it says to hearken. What Jesus is saying He's sitting on a boat or standing on a boat. They're all up on the shore. And Jesus begins to expound. But the first thing he tells them, now hear this. The first thing he tells them is not how the tribulation period is going to play out. He does not talk to them of great white horses and thrones and dominions. He does not talk about the Antichrist. He does not talk about all the other things. He simply says, listen. So often we come, you remember if you've ever been a parent, your children coming at you, and before you could even answer the first question, they've already asked you seven more. What about this, and why about this, and how about this, and all that, and it's just, what, what? And, and they're sponges, they really want to know, and don't blow your children off. It's a great time to teach them. Jesus said, I want you just, just to listen. And in the quietness of the next few minutes, as we've already been charged that it's not, it's not the singing of the song, it's not the ability, it is the one who we're singing to that is worship. Let us worship him by listening, not to me, because I am a flawed, broken vessel that can hold no water. But I pray over the next few minutes that I will stand directly under the flood of the Word of God and His Spirit that it may flow through me that we may all hear from the Sovereign Servant. Listen, He said, to His words. First of all, I want you to understand something about listening to His words. I can tell you something, and I pray that I don't let you down, but I know I am probably, and I know I have. There's things that I, I so desperately hope for that may not be God's timing, and it, is, it comes across as, well, I didn't tell the truth. But sometimes, I don't have an excuse, sometimes, because I'm in the flesh, I don't tell the truth because I want to cover up the flaws in my own life. I want you to understand, when I speak, if it's based on my authority, then it is useless. But when we speak as the oracles of God, and we preach the whole counsel of God, we speak on His authority. He said back in verse 22 of chapter 1, when He taught them, it says, what manner of authority does He have that... He teaches not as the scribes, but above them. Now, the scribes spent their entire life. The scribes were like the Illuminati of the Pharisees. They were the inner circle. They were the skull and crossbones. These guys, they lived, ate, slept, and fellowshiped over the law. They knew it backwards and forwards. It, to sit and talk to them would be like trying to sit and talk to some senator in the U.S. Congress on the Judiciary Committee. They would be breaking down every single jot and every tittle and trying to look at the angle that would support them. And yet they said Jesus teaches as one who has authority, not like, not like the scribes, above that. Why do we know and see his authority. Well, as we look back over the last few chapters as we have been going through this, we need only go back to chapter 1 again and look at verse 
32, and that evening when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city was gathered together at the door. Do you have a need? Do you have a want? Do you have a desire that God would pour out His Spirit in your life? That there would be a physical healing? That there would be a family relationship healed? That there would be some form of miracle that only... Have you ever said this? Unless God does it, it can't be done. But do we say it from the half full or half empty view? Do we understand when we say that? Oh, there's no hope for them unless God intervenes. Well, I want you to hear verse 34. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases. And he cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. We must listen to his words because they're words of authority. When Jesus speaks, things happen. Amen? Think about it. As we'll see very soon, he looked at the storms. I'm going to tell you something. We need to pray for those who are in the path of Michael. I don't know about you, but I sat up way too late the other night watching all that stuff and anticipating what may happen, and when it started taking a little more norther, northerly turn, I don't know about you, but I breathed a little sigh of relief because I live right in amongst a bunch of pine trees. And so I breathed a little sigh of relief and I went on to bed. I'd watched the Weather Channel, I'd watched all the news channels, and I'd seen all of them standing in the road and things happened. And I thought, you know what, this thing has come in so fast, I don't... I don't doubt the scientific data that it was a Category 4 just a couple miles an hour away from being a Cat 5. And I don't doubt it a bit because I've seen a little bit of the gust outside and we did end up with several trees down. But man, it was moving so fast that it must have just blew through before it really did the damage. By sunset the next day, it became very clear. It was a lot worse than what they had originally portrayed on TV. I mean, I don't know about you, but for most of my married life, we've vacationed in Panama City Beach. Now, some of what they said wasn't exactly true because the place we used to stay no longer exists because of a little storm named Ivan that wiped it off the map. And then Opal came in and tore out all the Bay Bridge in Pensacola and tornadoes spawned out through Panama City Beach and other things. But nothing could compare to what Michael has done in the past week. I mean, weren't, weren't all of you a little, little worried about Tuesday? About it turning and coming this way? Maybe worry's not a good, but concerned? We, we trusted it was in God's hands, but it still concerned us. I want you to understand, with the authority of his word, when Jesus opened his mouth, the storms were still. He could literally speak to Hurricane Michael, and it would cease and lie down. When Jesus speaks, things happen. Listen, his authority is a miraculous work that only he can do. There's no one on the face of the earth. Listen, Elijah was great. And he prayed and it stopped raining. And he prayed and it started raining. And great and mighty things. He prayed and fire came. But it was the authority of God, not Elijah. Samuel did great things. Daniel did great things. Through Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah and Daniel, we have the major prophets. We see great things through Isaiah. When we read chapter 1 and we read chapter 6 and we read chapters 9 and chapter 7, 14. And we read all about the suffering and reigning Messiah. But he only speaks as that which is the authority of God, not of Isaiah. But when Jesus spoke as the Son of God, he spoke miraculous work into existence.
Do you understand that leprosy is not like having eczema? That leprosy, the, the flesh would rot and literally fall off the bone. That they were quarantined. And if they came anywhere close to someone that was uh, in regular society, they had to yell. It's not bad enough to have the disease, but the embarrassment of it. They had to yell, unclean, unclean. And yet when God spoke through his son, the leprosy vanished. The paralyzed walked. The blind saw. And the dead came back to life. That is a miraculous work. Amen? Now, if we're going to say we believe this book, then we've got to believe he's the authority. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And may I, without adding to the Word, but exposing the depth of it, may I tag on a PS on the end of verse 1 of chapter 1 of John, and is the Word. It's a miraculous work in that it's above ideas. You ever sit around and brainstorm? I've come up with some brilliant ideas in the shower or laying there in the bed at night before I could go to sleep. Ingenious things. I have started multi-billion dollar companies. I have strategized the greatest church growth formations. I have raised my children to be the greatest on the face of the earth. I've won more championships in my mind than Alabama has won on the field. And that's a bunch. But the truth is they're just ideas. Just like ball games, they're just ideas. Jesus never had an idea. Never had a thought. Jesus never got up and scratched his head, you know, I think this might work. He's never done that. God has never been caught by surprise or had to drop back and punt. God doesn't have ideas. He's God. Now think about it. That means he's above tradition. Things that we think is good. You know, there's things that this church did 50 years ago that was very, very relevant to the time. But they don't, we don't do it anymore because it's not quite as relevant. We just change the methods but the message stays the same traditions traditions come and traditions go don't we as we grow older things we used to do we we may not do anymore i can remember i was telling someone this week that used to have a tradition man i loved hunting i mean i i lived and breathed it and so thanksgiving week as soon as we could talk our family into getting together and, and we kept moving that, that Thanksgiving meal up so we could get to deer camp and hunt because we wasn't going to be in the woods on Sunday. We was going to be back because we was smart enough to know there's a time for hunting, but there's a time to worship and it comes first. But we did that. And then I would take off and I, I'd figured out, I'm not real, real bright, but I figured out when I, when I punched the clock and worked for the county and stuff and had so many vacation days and stuff that it, I could take off four days between Christmas and New Year's, counting the holidays that they paid us for, I could take four vacation days and I would have 10 days straight off without going to work. And I spent one at Christmas and the rest of them in the woods except for Sunday. I loved it. I don't do that anymore. I still like to hunt, but I don't do that anymore. That tradition changed. The uncles that I hunted with, they've gone to glory. The cousins live somewhere else. Traditions change. Assumptions. So many people have an assumption about things. And we assume that the world's going to treat us right. And we assume that no one's going to let us down. We assume by this age we'll be set and everything will be fine. I'm glad we worship a God that's not the God of assumptions. We just assume people's going to heaven. I want to be real frank and honest with you today. I am so thankful for John and Melinda. Wasn't that wonderful to see their obedience in believer's baptism? Amen. Came to me a couple weeks ago. 
Now, he's been coming to Sunday, they've been coming to Sunday school for several months. Faithful, man, faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, loving, experiencing God, growing. And he came, he had mentioned to me a few weeks prior to that, hey, I want to meet with you about, about being part of the church and stuff. And I'm like, great, amen, praise the Lord. And so one day he showed up in my office. It's great, sit down, let's talk about it. He said, well, I want to talk to you about church membership. About being part of the church. I said, great. And listen, if you don't believe that God can do big things out of ordinary, even obnoxious things, let me, let me tell you how this went. He said, well, how, how do Melinda and I have talked and we want to be a part of Eastside. How do we do that? Mike Kennedy, the chairman of our deacons and I have been going over our bylaws and we're we're going to be empowering all the deacons. We're going to be revising them just for the sake of they need to be freshened up over time. And so it just happened to be sitting on my desk. And I just flipped over two pages. I said, well, right here, John, is three ways you can join Eastside Baptist Church. And I started with, well, if you're a member of another church, you've been saved and baptized, then you'll join by letter. Or if you've been saved and you've not been baptized, then you'll come and by acknowledging your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, then you can follow in believers' baptize, a baptism, you become a member. I said, or if you've never been saved, then you come to the Lord believing that He is and that He is a rewarder to them that diligently seek Him confessing your sins, believing in your heart, telling him, not me, he'll save you, and then baptism. Well, automatically, been in Sunday, they've been in Sunday school, they've been coming on Sunday night. You know, lost people ain't going to do that. Sunday school, Sunday night, we can't get church folks to do that. He said, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I was baptized at two years old. And, and God just impressed. I said, John, has there ever been a time that you know without a doubt you fell on your face and confessed your sins to Jesus? He said, no. And through the bylaws that this church wrote about joining this church, oh, church membership's not important. Through that, in God's word, we were able to present Jesus to them, and you saw their testimony of what God did inwardly and how God saved them. We're assuming a lot of people is going to heaven that's not. God doesn't assume that. We have an idea of how we ought to reach people. God doesn't have ideas. God has commands. His word is the first and the final authority. What does God's word say? Well, I just believe. I don't care what you believe. Well, I don't believe that them Democrats. I don't care what you believe. I don't believe in Republic. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care where you stand on Trump. I don't. And can I tell you? That that is not the final authority. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask for your political party affiliation. It's the authority of his word, not ours. You ever had that same child that asked you all them questions? Once you told them to do something, I know none of you ever had this or ever did it. but probably the dirtiest, most foul word that can come out of a kid's mouth doesn't have four letters. It only has three. Why? And how many of you have ever said it or been told and all together, because I told you so? Well, I've got news for you. That's biblical. That is biblical to obey your father and mother because it is the example. When God says do, says do it, he's not asking for you to want to examine it, dissect it, and explain it in, a, in an apologetic manner. He just wants you to do it. Because once again, his word is authority. 
God says step out of the boat, step out of the boat. We get on old Peter hard, man. We ride Peter like a rented mule. He's the only one that got out. None of the other apostles could ever say, hey, it may have not been but for just a moment, but I did walk on the water. What would y'all do? His word is authority. But it's also his authenticity. It's real truth. Look in verse 2 again. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine or in his teaching. He didn't teach what the rabbis told him to teach. He didn't teach them what the traditions of the Jewish people said to teach. He taught them his doctrine. Now, the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians that all God's word is inspired. Theonustos, God breathed it. God literally breathed into Moses, the Pentateuch. God breathed into David and into Solomon. God breathed into Joel and to Amos. God breathed into Matthew and John and Luke and Mark. We see the great word, God breathed into a Christian killer that he had saved. And Paul penned the epistles to the churches and to Timothy, to Titus. God breathed it into their life. But here's what he says about that. Not only did he breathe it, but it is profitable. God's word is profitable. Listen, I love to read. For some of you that's foreign... Someone attacked me recently for a stance on a social media page, and I didn't lash back and everything else. I just said, look, you don't know me, go read a book. Educate yourself. A lot of us have our opinions, but it's based on what we hear rather than what we read a book. Read a book. But more than that, read the book. The sad truth is, and I, I'm going to be real transparent with you today. The first time I read the Bible all the way through, starting at Genesis 1-1 to the maps, I was not motivated by wanting to go deeper and grabbing a hold. I was motivated. It, it was good, but it wasn't good. And here's my motivation. I was afraid that there may have been one verse, maybe just one, out of 1,189 chapters, 66 books as we know in the divisions, roughly a million words, there may have been one verse I'd missed, and maybe that was the verse that would change my life. But yet the average Christian has never opened their Bible to the first book and read every single word all the way through it. I got news for you. The book of Leviticus is just as inspired as the gospel of John. Ezekiel is just as inspired as the book of Revelation. And they're all just as inspired as Acts and Exodus. And through this closed canon of Scripture, without the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigrapha and all the other additions that the world tried to add, they cut it down to these 66 books and prayed diligently. I'm not talking about a Baptist 2018 prayer meeting. I'm talking about weeks and months of pouring themselves out day and night, fasting and seeking God. These are the books that we received that makes up the holy canon of scripture we need to understand his authenticity speaks real truth that's what doctrine that whole idea it is it is inspired word of god and is profitable for doctrine doctrine like what the doctrine of salvation the doctrine of the church the doctrine of angels the doctrine of man the doctrine of hell and the doctrine of heaven all of it is applicable to us in its authenticity. It's fact in a world that's all fake. I don't know about you, I hate fake. Y'all hate fake. You know when I hate it the most? When I walk away from a situation and realize I was the fake one. 
I despise it in myself. When I put on a look or say, you know, and, and I've tried to always do it, the greatest compliment I've ever been given is, you're just real. Whether you're on the football field or whether you're, you're in a bird field or whether you're, in, you're just real, you just, you are who you are. That's the greatest compliment I've ever been given because, see, there's sometimes when I'm not real. And I, you know, I could speak in the most profound words and I could be more uh, refined in my delivery and I would stop with the extemporaneous speaking and there would be no ad lib but it would be simply that which is liturgical but that would not be me because you see and I'm not knocking that I grew up under the hacking preachers that held their handkerchief in their hand, didn't put it up in their pocket. And they preached right here with one foot in the air and their head cocked over. That's what I grew up with. And I love it because that's who they are. All of us are, Paul preached different than Peter. Peter preached different than James. We have different backgrounds, different pre-understandings, different characters in our life, but the word stays true. It's fact. It's always true, and it's always right. Isn't that nice in a world that's always changing? The truth never changes. No matter who your college professor is next semester, the truth will remain the same. No matter who is in the White House, truth will remain the same. No matter who's sitting on the Supreme Court, no matter who's got the number one bestseller, no matter what kind of movies are out, the truth will still be the truth. Whether it was in 1018, 1918, 2018, or if the Lord hadn't come back 2418, the truth will still be the truth. It's real truth. It's what you hang your hat on. You know what? You know when truth matters? It's when we're at the bedside of a loved one who has given their life to Jesus Christ and you know their testimony. And though our hearts are breaking and we feel like we could just fall out of our skin, we rest in the truth. This is not all there is. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You see, it's not about opinion. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. I don't like that kind of music. I don't care. I don't, may not like your kind of music. I don't like your hair that way. I don't like your hair. I don't like what car you drive. I don't, you know... I have my opinions, you have your opinions, but opinions don't matter at the foot of the cross. The problem is, we're just like the day of Calvary. There were two thieves that hung on that cross beside Jesus, right? One on the right hand, one on the left. One trusted him, one didn't. What's different than today? We're all surrounded the cross, but there's those who are trusting and those who aren't. It's his authority. When Jesus looked over and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't even kidding. He was. Just like Jesus said. You see, the Son of God is the servant of God. Speaking the word of God to the creation of God. He said in verse 4, and it came to pass... As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. We see now as he enters into the whole idea of parables, we not only understand, we need to listen to his words, but we need to learn from them. We need to learn from his words. What, he begins to expound through parables. This was extemporaneous. It was not just something planned and he'd sat down and wrote out a three-point outline of how uh, he's going to expound the truth through this story. A parable is literally an earthly story with heavenly truth. 
And it caused them to think. They related it to where there was because His Word, and we learn, is applicable. It applies to us right where we are. People say, oh, you don't understand. College is different than it used to be. You don't understand. They tell us all the time. Mamas and daddies, y'all don't understand. Y'all are old. Really? I tried the same thing. We all tried the same thing. Oh, mamas and daddies, they're ancient and they don't understand. But listen, whether it was with Benny Goodman Fats Domino, Elvis Presley, the dark days of disco, ACDC, or Drake. We all have our own personal preferences. Whether it was poodle skirts, isn't it funny? Some of you, uh, uh, what now is a dress up is actually your history. I saw the 80s thing the other day, you know, one of the homecomings, and they had Generations Day, and they're all dressed up, and they got their rock t-shirts and all that stuff, and I said, well, I resemble that remark. Big old bell bottom. Y'all called them wallabies. They wasn't wallabies. That's some made-up name to try to say. Huh? Brogans, or we call them chuckaboots. But the preppies called them pothead shoes with the booger soles. They couldn't be hard soles. You couldn't just have any kind. They had to be real hush, but they had to have booger soles. And then when my kids wanted them, I said, oh yeah, that'd be cool until I saw how much they wanted for them now. <laughs> I said, don't they have some kind you can get with hard soles that'll be less? That's the way it was back then. But no, they had to have the booger soles too. But now they have a tag on them. If you have a tag hanging off of them, it's worth more. The truth is, the Word of God applied to Martin Luther in 1517. The Word of God applied to me in 1972. The Word of God applied to the Goulers in 2018. The Word of God applied to the Christians being persecuted in A.D. 70. The Word of God applied to Pastor Brunson for two solid years. And the greatest thing that happened yesterday was not a score on a field, but seeing a man of God being persecuted for his faith that left the prison and went to the palace. And once in there, he knelt down and put his hand on the President of the United States and prayed over him. There's still real believers in this world. Don't you let Satan tell you any different. Because they understood. I, I saw a clip this morning of a pastor whose house was being decimated around him. And as he was videoing the storm, he was wanting to videotape just what was happening. The whole back of his house blown out. But what has become a, 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 a viral sensation is the fact he was singing praises to the Lord through it. God's Word applies no matter where we're at. Whether our children are little or whether our children are grown and we have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It, is, it is, applies to us right where we live. It applies in the field. It applies in the farm. It applies in the police car. It applies in the pulpit. It applies to our life wherever we may be. I don't know about you. I'm glad. Because I've been a lot of places. God's word has never failed. I've walked into a little shack of a building that was a church of believers in this in the middle of a sugarcane farm. This little bitty building. And we walked in there. And we had practiced because we wanted to bless them. And we began to sing. Shayla Jeanne. Shayla Jeanne. This is the day. 
This is the day. And we sang that song in French Creole to them, wanting to bless them. You know what happened when we finished? We was beating our chests and we're proud. We got that out. Those little five, six, seven, eight-year-old Haitian children, you know Michelle, can't get the choir to come to even read it out of a book. And you get kids, and they'll memorize every single word. They turn around and sing it back to us in English. Walked into the grotto there in Bethlehem where they believed Jesus was born. And as I stood and looked at that spot, I was amazed that people actually think this is the exact spot. And so they put it up on a pedestal. I said, you know what? It may be off 10 foot. There's no way over 2,000 years they know this is the exact spot. And once that passed, I understood, you know, what matters is he was born here in Bethlehem. And there's so many people coming through. I I stopped for just a second, but then I had to move on. And my whole group had already left, and I had hung around just a moment longer. And finally I said, I got to go. And I turned to walk away, and I took about 10 or 12 steps, and I heard something. And I could hear them singing. And I could hear them singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. And I knew they were singing that song. And I turned around just to worship in that moment and realized they were Japanese and they were singing it in Japanese, but I knew the song. And they were worshiping the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Whether it's in Japanese, French, Creole, whether it's in... a a European language, whether it's in common Southern English. It's right where we live. And see this. It is where we live in our lives. He said in verse 15, in this parable of the sower, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they had heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. You see, sometimes where we live is in wickedness. And Satan controls. We may come to church. We may put on a good face in front of mom and daddy. But the truth is, there's wickedness in our lives and in our heart. And everybody around us just assumes that everything's all right. But the seed... The Word of God is not taking root and Satan has plucked it out because we chose the words of Satan. Oh, hey, man, things are better in the world. And we are much like Demas who loving this present world has left the work of God. That's such a sad testimony. We've become... Or are wicked. We don't become wicked. We're born wicked. If you ever hear anybody say, oh, at the heart everybody's good. That's a lie. I want to remind you what the Word says. The Word says, there are none righteous. No, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. The only hope we have, as we sang about this morning, is in the Word of God. What are you basing your life on? The Word of God or the Word of men? You see, that wickedness chokes it out. Not only the wickedness, but the hard-hearted. Have you become hard to the Word of God? You don't want to hear what God's got to say? You don't need what God's got to say? He said in 16 and 17, These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. What's your excuse? Well, you just don't understand, preacher. We're going through this, we're going through that. Why are we running away from God rather than running to Him? We become hard-hearted. We were those who are wayward. He said in verse 18, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts 
of other things entering in chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Wicked, hard, wayward. But then there are those who in the application of God's word right where they live, hearing him speak, are willing. He said in verse 20, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, 30, 60, and some even a hundredfold. Willingness shows us that the word of God is advantageous. You know, there's one thing that I learned. I didn't have to always like the things my daddy told me, but I understood it went a lot better when I obeyed him. Right? We hear this every Sunday night. That whole crisis of belief, that's where I live, man, day by day by day by day. The crisis of belief. But I understand even, even, and I love that old, that old phrase, even when I cannot see his hand, trust his heart. No, God's will is the best thing for my life because he loves me. And there are times where I had to realize that my parents, even though I didn't think it was the best thing for me, it was. They wanted the best. I've told my own children, I am your biggest fan. No one will love you more than I do except for Jesus. No, I want the very best for you. You see, it's advantageous in that it brings fruit. God blesses us when we trust His Word. It brings light. He said in verse 21, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not be set on a candlestick? Let our light so shine that the world may see it and trust Him. It's fruit, it's light, and it's growth. He said in verse 30, 32, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, becomes greater than all. Listen, the word of God is advantageous. It'll produce fruit. It'll go forth as light. And it will cause growth. Let me finish. Look in verse 33. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Wow. That hits me right between the eyes. He spoke to them as many that were able to hear. Are you able to hear what God's got to say today? Without worrying about what's for lunch or what you're going to do this week. Can you hear what God's got to say to you today? God's calling you into full-time ministry. God's calling you to step up and to step out in faith to tell others about Jesus Christ, to take on a role of leadership in the church, to not be a volunteer but a follower of Christ. You see, we've got to listen to His words, and when we listen, we'll learn. When we begin to learn, we'll live by His word. Daily living. By his word, even through danger. Now we see the story of them in the ship, and I've already told you about it. But it says in verse 36, when they had sent away the multitude, they went in the ship, and there arose a great storm of wind. The waves beat in the ship so that it was now full. The ship was full. It was sinking. Listen to the word. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Can you imagine that? In the midst of all the trials, Jesus is asleep. Oh God, do you not see what I'm going through? And hear their words, Master, do you not care that we're all up here dying? Do you not even care? We live by His word even through danger. No matter what this world may hold. Listen, Pastor Brunson, faithful, persecuted servant of God. But thank God he didn't suffer unto death, but there are those around the globe that are under the penalty of death even as we speak. You look at the newspapers, you read the Christian 
publications. Get a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Or look up on social, uh, online, on the web, look up the voice of the martyrs. And hear what great men and women of God have gone through. They have been drowned, burnt, boiled, hung, stabbed, beheaded for the cause of Christ. Listen, we're to live by His Word even through danger. It's a dangerous world, right? Y'all pray for the students, not just when we walk the campuses, but every day. It's a dangerous world to be a Christian on any school campus. I don't care what school they go to. It's dangerous. The world hates Christians. But when we live by His Word, we can live with delight. It said in verse 39, And He arose, rebuked the wind, and said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. If we would just take a deep breath and exhale with these words, Father, calm my storm. We can live with delight in His Word. It's our duty to live by His Word. He said in verse 40, and he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You've been a believer for 32 years. You've been saved for seven years. God's not done anything yet in your life. He saved you. Is that not enough? What kind of faith are we to live in today? After we've been saved for three, four, five, six decades. The same faith that we by. Saving faith is living faith. It is our duty to trust Him. For without faith it is impossible to please God. And we do so out of devotion. Verse 41, as they come to the instruments. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? What authority does he teach? What absolutely mind-boggling kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When his words are so powerful. You see, he brought great calm. And out of devotion, they worshipped him. It was kind of a rhetorical question. They're saying, hey, we're on the right side here. We, we're in the boat with the right one. It may be raging around the world, but in my life, Jesus has given me a calm presence that only he can give. Do you trust Jesus' word? That you're a sinner and without hope, without help, without Him. And you believe that Jesus died for your sin. Then I challenge you right now to come to this altar and tell Him. Come, listen, when they got desperate enough, when the storm got bad enough, they cried out. You know why? They thought they were going to die. Do you understand you're going to die? Do you understand your situation can never get worse than it is right now if you're lost? except to die and go to hell. Will you come trust Him? I'll pray with you. Others will pray with you. You need to come trust His Word for deliverance through a storm in your life. You need to start listening to His Word. You need to live by His Word and by His authority. Understanding it is applicable to every situation in your life. He is the Word. Will you trust Him today? Stand and come. Come to Jesus. Come to His Word. He says, come. All ye that labor.